let's get into today's message today. Well, well, if you ask somebody what the Bible is all about, you, you get all sorts of answers. In fact, some of the answers will be kind of like this. It's a book full of laws, okay? Rules for how to please God. And there's lots of laws in the Bible. In fact, whenever you read some of these uh, laws, especially the ones in the Old Testament, they can get kind of really confusing. In fact, they can be kind of weird. I don't know if you ever noticed if you read some of these laws, it's like, what does this even mean? There's a law in the Bible that talks about not boiling a goat in its mother's milk. I mean, what's that even about? I mean, what does it even mean to us today? And did you know that that law is repeated three times? It's the only law in the entire Bible repeated three times. Do not boil a goat in its mother's milk. In fact, Jews, would they interpret that law today um, as part of their kosher food laws. So if you go to Jerusalem, you go to Israel, and um, you go to a kosher restaurant, what you'll find is that you have well, there's one section. It's all the, all the vegetables, the milk, and the cheese is in that section. And then there's another section with the meat. Okay, so, so when they interpret this law is that even on your plate, you can't, have, you can't have like a piece of beef and cheese together on the same plate. That's, that's a no-go. Okay, you can't have them. Can't, definitely not touching. So therefore, when it comes to a cheeseburger, you can't even eat a cheeseburger. So if you're, if you're following these Jewish kosher laws, they'll interpret it as this. Don't eat a cheeseburger because there's, there's beef and there's a, cheese on, a piece of cheese on top of that. So what does it mean to follow the laws? Does it mean if we, to follow the laws to the T in the Bible? Does that mean that we can't eat a cheeseburger? Okay, what does this even mean? It's just, just kind of strange. And um, in fact, Someone else could say that church is all about following rules, right? That God is just a party pooper. He doesn't want you to have any fun at all. And let's be honest. There are a lot of um, Christians out there who kind of portray this. They're kind of like party poopers and they seem kind of doom and gloom or legalistic and things like that. But it can be really confusing trying to follow all these lose, that lose, all these laws. You don't want to be following any laws, but it can be confusing following all these laws. I mean, how are we even supposed to follow them? What do they even mean? I mean, why does it seem like some people just pick and choose which laws to follow, and then they give us a hard time for not following the laws that they chose? So this is what this message is all about. If you're looking for a subtitle for this message, it is Torah, Torah which we're going to explore this very, very uh, question itself. The first five books of the Bible is called the Pentateuch, but it's also referred to as Torah. Torah is where we get our English word law from, which is an unfortunate translation. A better translation of the word Torah is a teaching or instruction or principle or guidance. That's a better interpretation of this word Torah, a teaching or instructions. Because, because we call it law, Straight away, our Western mind, mindset, we start thinking of statutory law. Oh, yes, these are the laws of God. Right, these are what it is. And that's actually not what it's intended to be. The Torah, the Bible, is not intended to be um, statutory law. It was never meant to be read like that. So the Torah became a way to refer to the first five books of the Bible. So when you open up the first five books of the Bible, you see this, uh, you, uh, that it's known as the Torah. And the reason being is because there's a lot of laws in there. In fact, there are 613 laws in total. That's a lot of laws, right? A lot more than the great 10 commandments, okay? It wasn't just 10 commandments, 613. That's right, someone counted, okay? So the first, first five books of the Bible is never, to, is never meant to be read as a law book, but as a story. 
a narrative of how God entered a formal relationship with a group of people in a covenant relationship. And these laws, these laws that are in the narrative are terms of this agreement. The laws are not given to all of humanity. This is really important for you to know. When the laws were given at Mount Sinai, when Moses was on the mountain getting the laws from God, they were not given to all of humanity. They weren't given to all the nations. Um, I wasn't at Mount Sinai. You weren't at Mount Sinai. So these laws weren't given to me. They weren't given to you. They were given to the people of ancient Israel as part of a covenant God made with them. In fact, Moses says this in Deuteronomy chapter 4. He says that if Israel obeys these laws, it will show God's wisdom and God's righteousness to the nations, to the neighbors, to the ancient neighbors. This is what it was meant to do. So the Torah, the law, it's not to, it wasn't meant to be read as some kind of law code, but as a narrative, as a story. Like, for instance, when it came to the Passover meal, in Exodus chapter 12, Moses says, Roast the Passover lamb and do not boil it. Then in Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 7, this is what Moses says. He says, Boil the Passover lamb. Contradiction? If this is a statutory law, then this is a contradiction in the law. But it was never meant to be that. It's a narrative. It's a story. To boil or not to boil? That is the question. Well, Deuteronomy chapter 16 assumes that Israel are now in the land. They're settled. They're in their homes. So now they can adapt the recipe. So it makes sense that the laws are stated differently for different audience. But the moment we try to take these laws out of this narrative context, and we try to make this one seamless law code, this one seamless statutory law code, that's where we run into problems. If the Bible is meant to be these divine golden tablets that fell out from heaven, given to humans, um, so if we want to get to heaven, we have to follow it, it gives us this plan. If that's what the Bible is meant to be, then it does a real poor job of being that kind of document. The laws were intended for a specific time and for a specific people. That they were to separate themselves from the nations around them and live in such a way to show the wisdom and the love of God. Did you know that the, one of the ancient Canaanite rituals was for them to boil a goat in its mother's milk? This is part of their ritual. This is, how the, this is what they offer to their gods. So when we see this law in the Torah, it's actually talking about that. It makes no sense to us today because what does that even mean? But to an ancient Israelite, it's like, aha, we've got to separate ourselves. We, we cannot copy the practices of those around us. Let's separate ourselves from everybody else because God is setting up a holy people together, pointing towards something to come. Because the, because the point is both the Old and New Testament aren't presenting the laws and the Torah as a checklist of eternal life. That's not how the laws are presented in the Bible. So it asks us to begs to ask this question. Therefore, is the law of the Torah relevant for us today? And the answer is yes and no. <laughs> yes and no. Uh, no, it's 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 not meant to be statutory law. It's it's not meant to be some kind of law code we must obey to the T because it wasn't given to us it was given to an ancient Israelites because the people of the Bible never read it like that people in the New Testament never read it like that because the laws weren't given to them even to the news to, to the news to the Jews in the second, second temple era um, but it was but yes it, it's it's relevant to, to us today but as wisdom literature 
It's no, we don't, we don't follow it to a T. It's not meant to be statutory law. But yes, it is wisdom literature. What is the underlying principle that I can apply in my life today? That's the point of the Torah. What is the underlying principle that I can apply in my life today to show God's wisdom? Jesus answers this in Matthew chapter 5. So if you've got your Bibles, why don't you turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. And this is Jesus talking of the laws. This is what he says. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. In fact, Jesus is saying here that, that the Torah, that the laws and the prophets, they're pointing to him. And when he says this to fulfill it, he says they're pointing to me. Then he goes on, For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished. When is it accomplished? Is is when his death and resurrection, that's when it's accomplished. So Jesus never came to do away with the law, but he also never came to leave it alone. The Bible is a unified story, which which means that the law and the role in the story is fulfilled in Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Jesus goes on in in verse 19, he says, Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same would be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven jesus is saying this look if you want to enter the kingdom of of heaven by the law then you've got to follow it to the t in fact you've got it's got to exceed the way the scribes and the pharisees uh, follow it you've got to follow to a t if you want to enter the kingdom of god via the law you've got to do it to the t which is impossible and that's the point because the law wasn't meant to be that it wasn't pointing that way it wasn't supposed to do that what jesus had in mind is that the ideal wisdom of the law is the ultimate goal. I mean, that's the example when he says your righteousness exceeds that. This is what he's saying. He's saying, this is what we've got to teach people. We've got to teach people to, 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 to discover what is the underlying principle underneath the Torah. This is what we've got to teach. And this is how we enter the kingdom of God, is to live out the ideal principle. We've got to keep... We've got to keep all these ideals in mind and not some specific list of application. This is why Jesus goes on. He begins to expand this in the next verse, in verse 21. He says this, You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, You shall not murder. This is the Ten Commandments. This is one, it's in the top ten. So it's one of the, the super laws in the, in the Torah. You shall not murder. And whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. And this is what Jesus does. He gets the Torah and he brings on and he draws, draws out the underlying principle, the wisdom of God on that. And then he goes on. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you'll be liable to the judgment. And, and at that stage, people go, whoa, whoa, hang on, Jesus. What? Are you saying that if I'm angry with somebody, that's the same as murder? And he's not finished there. And if you insult a brother or sister, you're liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. I don't know about you. Have you ever called someone a fool? Have you ever insulted somebody before? You know, this is, this, is, this is the wisdom of God. Congratulations. You never murdered anybody. Well done. Props to you. <laughs> but hey, you, you, know, you think you're better than that guy? 
This is what Jesus is saying. You think you're better than your co-worker? I mean, you talk poorly about him. You talk behind his back. Jesus is like, you've got to be kidding me. You're like, okay, fine. You never murdered anybody. Well, that's a major success. In one sense it is. But in the, in the other sense, it's like, well, thank you for not killing him. But you've got to love him like you love yourself. And Jesus pulls out this underlying wisdom. Underlying wisdom of, of the Torah. And say, hey, look, do not murder. But hey, it's about loving people. This is what it's about. Jesus is saying that all the ideal wisdom of the law is wrapped up in this one command. Love God, love people. I know it sounds like two, but it's one. That is the ideal wisdom of God. In fact, when we look back to the Torah, when we, when we begin to read the narrative of the Torah from the first five books of the Bible through the prophets through to the New Testament, it's a unified narrative. It's a unified story. The Torah is a story designed to show that Israel did not and could not keep God's law. In fact, it all culminates to the end with Moses giving the speech in Deuteronomy. Moses had spent four years, uh, four years, 40 years of the people of Israel. He had seen that they had failed. God had given laws. They failed. He gives them more laws that fail again. Gives more laws that fail again. In fact, Moses kind of foresees that even, even the ancestors are going to fail. So Moses gives this speech. And in, in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6, this is what Moses says. This, and God brings the solution. This is, what, this is what he says. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. In fact, the Old Testament prophets, they pick up these promises and they develop them a little bit more. In fact, the prophet Ezekiel says this in chapter 36, verse 26. He says, speaking of God, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit in you. This is speaking of the Holy Spirit coming. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. In fact, the prophet Jeremiah goes on in 24, verse 7. He says, I will give them a heart to know me that I am the Lord. They will be my people and I will be their God. For they will return to me with all their heart. Jesus picks this up again. Picks this up again in the New Testament. And Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 15. He says, But the words you speak come from the heart. That is what defiles you. For from the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. See, sin is not just a matter of doing, saying, or even thinking wrong things. Jesus says here that from within, out of a heart comes all these evil things. Like for instance, suppose you go to the doctor and you've got red spots all over you, right? You go to the doctor and the doctor diagnoses measles. When I was a kid, I had, I had measles. I know what it's like. And let's imagine that, the, that and, uh, the way the doctor decides to cure you is by putting plasters over all the dots, right? Puts all these plasters. Okay, this is what's going to cure you, putting all these plasters on you. And you're going to be like, hey, doc, I mean, I'm not a doctor, but all I got to say is these dots, they're just the symptoms of the problem. The real problem is what's on the inside. The disease is in my bloodstream. And that's what the narrative of the Torah is pointing to. When we do or say or think even wrong things, these are symptoms of sin. The real problem is from within our heart. That is the condition caused by the fall in the garden. See, the design of the Torah parallels Israel and humanity with Adam and Eve in the garden, receiving commands and also breaking it. Our condition begins in the garden, right with Adam and Eve. 
So in our hearts, the Bible says that we are in rebellion with God, actively or passively. And doing a few good things, it's just like putting spiritual plasters on the problem. It's like, you know, before I come to know Jesus, I was like, man, I've got to stop doing these things. And I started doing all these good things and I thought I was doing well. But then all of a sudden, I found myself back into the same problem again. Because what I was really doing was putting spiritual plasters on the problem, on the symptom. But the real problem was on the inside, was my heart. This was the problem. The central problem is that each of us want to run our, our lives our own way. We want to live apart from God. We want to push Him out. This is what the law is pointing to, that we can't do it on our own. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not the results of works, so that no one may boast. It is by grace through faith alone that saves us. This salvation is a gift of God. This is God's gift that He gives to you. And what does this grace look like? That God loved you so much that He stepped into His creation in the fullness of Jesus. And on the cross, He died for your sins, your greatest regrets. He wiped the slate clean. The punishment that should have been yours, the punishment that should have been mine. Jesus took it upon Himself. And this is the gift called grace. And He gives it to mankind. And like any gift, we can either receive it by faith or we can reject it. Oh, it's, all, it's all good, Jesus. I don't need your faith. I don't need what, what you've done for me. We can receive a gift or we can reject it. It is the finished work of Christ alone that saves us. We must respond to His finished work by faith. So if salvation is a free gift, and if we don't have to follow the Torah, just as long as we believe, is that good enough? <laughs> oh, well, I mean, that's all good. I can live my life however I want. That's all good because just as long as I believe in Jesus, because it's not by what I do, it's by what Jesus has done for me. That's all I need, right? No, no, no. Don't get me wrong. Because that's cheap grace. That's a cheap gift. And we, we can't just stop at verse 9 of Ephesians. We're going to carry on to verse 10. And this is what Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says. It says, For we are what He made us, created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. Did you know that God has a plan and purpose for your life that is good? God prepared it for you. You might be saying, well, I'm not a good person. I've never been a good person. But that's not the way God created you. And that's a lie of the enemy. God didn't create you that way because His plans for you are good. What you need is a new heart. We need to understand something. Good works, following all the laws, do not produce salvation. There's no way, uh, because the more we try to do it, the try, more good things we try, the more bad things they follow. Believe me, I've tried. It doesn't produce salvation. It's just like putting spiritual plasters on things. But salvation produces a life of good works. I have not come to replace the law, but to fulfill them. Love God, love people. See, when you receive Jesus, the Holy Spirit will come in and give you a new heart. 
and then you'll begin to understand and find the underlying wisdom of the Torah of the law to love God and to love people because it's not what you do but what Jesus has done law love always wins see the Torah in the first five books of the Bi- the first five books of the Bible were written to a specific people in a specific time to show the wisdom of God to their ancient neighbors Jesus and the New Testament writers looked to the wisdom and the underlying message underneath the Torah so to boil a goat in its mother's milk what's the underlying wisdom in that well hey you know what maybe it's not a good idea to boil something in its own its own life force to boil something in something that sustains its life like milk because life is precious that's the underlying wisdom is that life is precious so can I eat a cheeseburger and the answer is yes in fact have a triple cheeseburger on me you know when I was 18 I was a new Christian and I was catching my bus home to Mangere and I was on my way I was coming back from from Otara and I was on my way back and I remember sitting kind of near the back of the bus and and this, I can see this guy, he, he was sitting at the front and he's talking to people and he jumps to the next seat and then he jumps to the next seat, jumps to the next seat, he's talking to people. And I can overhear him talking about Jesus. And I'm thinking, whoa, this guy's talking to people about Jesus. I got excited because I'm a new Christian. I was going, man, hope this guy sits next to me. I want to have a good yarn of this guy. He sits next to me and I was going, bro, I'm a Christian. I was excited. And I thought he'll be excited. But he started asking me all these kind of strange questions questions and I was getting these kind of strange vibes from this guy he said to me oh okay you're a Christian so um what church do you do you go to and I'm like okay so I told him what church I went to oh, okay do you go to church every Sunday and I go yes oh do you pray and he goes, yeah do you pray every day and I'll go yeah he goes oh do you tell do you evangelize I was like I'm kind of new to this Christian lingo and I was like evangelize do you mean like tell people about Jesus like what you're doing on the bus then goes yeah go, go yes I do I, I do that. Then he goes, well, do you do this every day? And I said, well, no, I, I don't do it every day. Then he looked at me and he said, and you call yourself a Christian. I was like, what? I didn't realize there were people like this. I didn't realize there were Christians like this. I thought we were all meant to love one another. Tell people about the love of Jesus. I wasn't feeling any love. Let me tell you this. So I said to him, I said to him, if you died right now and you stood before God, and God asked you this question, why should I let you into heaven? What are you going to say to him? Are you going to say to him because you go to church every Sunday, read your Bible, pray, do all these laws. You follow the Torah. You follow the Ten Commandments. Is that, why, is that what you're going to say to God? And he said, well, yes, that's what I'm going to say. So I said to him, that's the wrong answer. And he goes, what do you mean? And I said, well, it's by grace you have been saved. And he says, well, where does that say that in the Bible? And this is how I know there's a Holy Spirit, honestly. Because these words came out of my mouth. For the very first time, I never quoted scripture in my life. But, this, but Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 to 9 came out of my mouth. I didn't even realize, I, I didn't even, know, I didn't even knew, know that I knew. I didn't memorize scripture, it just came out of my mouth. And I said, it's by grace you have been saved through faith, not by works where, uh, where you may boast. See, the right answer is this. 
It's not what you have done, but what Jesus has done. Don't get me wrong. Man, reading the Bible, going to church, that's awesome. That's important. You've got to do that. But that doesn't get us into the kingdom of God. Because let me tell you something. When Jesus comes into your life, He gives you a new heart. And this is what happened to me. All of a sudden, I started going to church, not because I had to, it's because I wanted to. I started to pray, not because I had to, because I wanted to. I began to seek God, learn, hang out with Christians. My speech stopped. I stopped swearing. Everything stopped. Something changed in me. And what changed is that I got a new heart. And if God did it for me, He can do it for you. Because love always wins. Let us pray. Father God, I want to thank you. What an awesome God you are. Thank you, Lord, that we are not alone. Thank you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit is available to us today. To live with us, inside of us, and to, and to help us live a life that is holy and pleasing to you. Lord, we give you all the glory. You know, I can't just end this message without giving you an opportunity to receive a gift today. Will you receive this gift of salvation? God is giving this out to you. You can either receive this gift or reject it. The choice is yours. You need to make a decision. If you decide to, to receive this gift, it will be the greatest decision you'll ever make. Come on, I've been there before. I've tried to do it on my own. Try to do good things. And every good thing, I do another bad thing. And then I just go back and forth. I'm like, what's the point? Come on. If you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, why don't you raise your hand for Jesus today? Why don't you receive this gift today? We've got this button on the screen that says, raise your hand for Jesus. Why don't you press that button? The reason I want you to press this button because I want you to do something in the physical by pressing this button and let it be something in the spiritual that God is doing. That I'm, I'm making a decision. I'm pressing this button. I'm getting my life right with God. I'm coming back to Him. I'm ready to leave my life of sin and follow Him. I'm raising my hand for Jesus. Why don't you press that button today? And begin to live a life anew. Receive this gift called grace. This is by grace you have been saved through faith. Come on, let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, today I want to receive this gift of grace. Lord, I'm making the decision to leave my life of sin and follow you. I know I'm still going to make mistakes. But Lord, give me a new heart. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that comes in and lives within me. Father, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.